Welcome to the 495 Podcast, presented by Greater Long Island Media Group. I'm your co-host, Mike White. And with you, as always, is uh, myself, Nick Esposito. <laughs> Thanks, as always, is Nick Esposito. Thanks for the introduction, Mike. And today, I'm excited for this guest. We're with uh, tall mother shaka, Keenan Boyle. Me. Keenan Boyle. You live in Patrick? Proper? I'm a sable guy. Sable guy, right. I right, knew so that. South Shore guy. Yeah, South Shore guy. Permanent fixture in Patrick, it seems, right? <laughs> I've been here for a while. <laughs> yeah, whether it's uh, whether it's performing with uh, Soundswell, jam popular local jam band uh, Soundswell. You guys are at Blue Point Brewery a lot, right? Oh yeah. We where else? There. Where else do you guys uh, play often? Uh, you know, we've doing uh, like the whole restaurant group area. You know, we're hitting up a uh, Brickhouse Brewery is a popular spot. Barbecue, mm. we like it there. Mm. Uh, we used to do Tap Room a lot when they first opened, and uh, you know, we still go to 89 North, and we're. Uh, we're on for Great South Bay Music Festival this oh, summer nice. again. Again, was this the fourth year in a row? Uh, I think it's our seventh we're going into. I think oh, we but did six. I guess about two years ago is when you got on the main stage, right? Yeah, so we've been on the main stage for a couple of years, so it's, it's been nothing like that, huh? Oh, it's so cool, man! I, I just—it's the best energy of the summer. You know, I can really say that. Uh, yeah. We're lucky to have Jim Faith doing this festival. You know, right down here, Shorefront Park. And uh, we love doing that. And then also uh, there's another festival coming up called May Day, which is in spring. What is that? It's a fundraiser. For, it's uh, South Haven Park. Oh, wow. Look at putting that. putting together money for uh, the local unions. And uh, my dad happens to be one of those union members, so nice. it works out nicely for me. Nepotism is alive and well in the, in the, Boyle, <laughs> in the, in the Boyle family. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, very good. Obviously, well-learned. You guys play uh, some pretty big stages. And then uh, you were on uh, North Ocean Avenue at Alive After Five, right, last summer that was the first year they had any sort of activity on north ocean right yeah so uh dave kennedy put in a good word for us and uh you know mike avino over at catch oyster bar mm -hmm. had his first uh i guess shot at having a spot down there live after five so we tried to bring the people down that direction you know north of main street which people mm -hmm. aren't used to going up there it used to just be emergency vehicles mm -hmm. yeah so now they're turning into a whole nother wing Excellent. of the fest they just yeah. gotta get rid of the you know with all due respect to our first responders, yeah. uh, they said they still stage those emergency emergency vehicles right in front of you guys. So it was kind of like a mental barrier for people yeah, to get up to North Ocean and alive after five. I guess it was kind of an afterthought this summer, and then you know the idea was kind of build momentum and next year have like a full stage and you know really hook it up. Awesome. And, yeah, and I love great. that area too. I forgot who told me, but it's like it's like International Way in Patchogue. We reach this Irish pub, then Mademoiselle French cuisine, and then you have the Italian pork store on the corner. Yes, you got, you got catch. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, you got catch, um, which actually brings us to uh, to another thing that you do. You're an oyster farmer, is that correct? I work on other people's oyster farms. At this point, um, still, still a farmer, uh, right? I'm a farmer. I'm a farm Turn hand. To be <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a farm hand. <laughs> I work. So uh, yeah, I'm on a list with Town of Islip. I'm hoping to get my own lease eventually, but at this point, uh, I work with uh, you know mostly Lucky Thirteen oysters, which is in Brightwaters, right across uh, mm -hmm. you know from. Like salt and barrel area, if you know that, uh, yep. right there for oysters, basically uh, directly across the bay, over by uh, Cap Tree, and the Robert Moses Bridge. Yep. There's a few, a few farms out there. Matt Welling is the one guy that I work with mostly, and uh, he's got a great product, and he's out there working hard all the time. And your oysters, you know, that you catch are all over the place. I met you a couple weeks ago at. Uh at the Blue Point Brewery, and you were kind of showcasing. You brought what, like, two hundred oysters? It was like a media walkthrough at the new beautiful brewery in, in Blue Point. But you brought over a bunch of oysters. Yeah. So uh, the Blue Point Brewery likes, you know, the fact that I have Blue Point oysters, which is something like the name Blue Point has kind of been, 
you know, yeah. dragged through the mud a little bit. <laughs> it's uh, overused. Overused, yeah. So people from other regions say that they have a Blue Point oyster, but in reality, uh, the name came from the town Blue Point, which is neighboring Patchogue. And uh, a Blue Point oyster has to come from the Great South Bay and and a specific area of the Great South Bay as well, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah and I actually spent a certain amount of time out in the Great South Bay. Yeah. So there's a law that nobody really pays much attention to. It's like English law, right? I think yeah, it goes back to it's really old. Little old England. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, back when the Dutch were here, and there was a product to represent the Blue Point. So when I was growing up, there really were no oysters coming out of the bay. There's clams, but you know, even since like the 70s, there wasn't you know weren't enough oysters coming out of the bay to to actually put a stamp on it and say this is the brand right so that's kind of where the name got lost is in all those years where people really wanted that name because king of england was requesting way back in the day so they got a, a great name for the blue point globally popular globally and yeah. then you know people are saying well where can i get that and there's people in chesapeake bay they'll say oh here's a blue point or people up you know yeah, we're close enough Connecticut. Uh, long island sound <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah long island sound could be called a blue point you know pretty much anywhere on the eastern seaboard now as long as it's a virginica which is the species you can call it a blue point and that's kind of a problem for the local guys because they're starting up now and people say, oh, well, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're in the Great South Bay, but that's not, a, you know, not a ton of Blue Point, not a Connecticut Blue Point, they call it. Right, right. Whatever. And I'm sure they charge more <laughs> more for Blue Point oysters, even though if they're not technically from Blue Point. Well, that's kind of the problem, too. It's a marketing thing. Yeah, marketing thing, but the marketing got messed up over the years because now you got this misrepresented oyster, and finally we have this really nice boutique oyster coming out of the bay, but nobody wants to call it a Blue Point because they'll actually get less for it than they will if they call it. Say a lucky thirteen or, or you naked know, cowboy. No, that's, naked that's, cowboy. That's the uh, North Shore. Yeah, those are a wild diver harvested uh, North yeah. Shore oyster. But uh, there's basically you know different ways to promote your oyster, and I'm trying to shed light on the Blue Point name again, and yeah. so is Blue Point Brewery because they're affiliated with this amazing you know world renowned oyster that yeah. we just need to bring the name back to Long Island. I can tell you, I'm a I'm a, a frequenter of Catch Oyster Bar, and uh, and they always have you know Blue Points that have oysters from the great south bay always on the menu as well as um oysters from canada oysters from the west coast and i think the the local oysters are head and tails above the rest and you could tell why they were globally famous a hundred and something years ago and uh these things were shipped all over all over the world and uh, and you could see why and uh if we could kind of bring back reclaim that that brand uh so it's not diluted and and so it's a premium product and these farmers can get uh, the money that they deserve for it that'd be that'd be awesome man so you got a lot of knowledge it's like almost like you did a thousand word thesis page <laughs> a paper. thousand word thesis. that's like a couple pages yeah. <laughs> i really mailed it in yeah. yeah i did my master's thesis on uh on the demise of of both the the oyster industry and then the clam industry in, in the great south bay i think it was the hurricane of 38 yeah. that sort of you tried to get it published, with the right? Ecosystem. <laughs> I told people I was trying to get it published, <laughs> so they would talk to me. Um, so I think the uh, I think the hurricane of '38 messed with the ecosystem and gave rise to uh, uh, the oyster drill. And exactly. then the oyster drill uh, is which is a which is a parasite um, sort of uh, flourished and then uh, and then killed off all those oysters and actually set the stage for a huge boom in clamming. Until, uh, from what I understand, those were overfished. Right. That's. That's kind of where I came in. Was my dad was a clammer in high school, and there were a lot of clams in the bay at some point, and uh, <clears throat> the clams are not really there anymore either. And it's kind of become tragic because there's nothing, there's no shellfish coming out of the bay until now. That now we're reintroducing these farmers, so it's not naturally setting stuff. We're actually taking seed from other places like Maine or shell, you know, different island, uh, 
I guess a lot of stuff comes from Fisher Fisher's Island, supply us with seed, and we'll grow it out here, and you know basically try to introduce uh, a whole different ecosystem that hasn't been here in a long time. And the reason, like you said, is the the flavor is is renowned because it's it's like wine. People say there's a terroir right. with wine. We have meroir with oysters. They say it's a uh, basically the flavor of the specific region when you harvest it, how you grow it. So who the farmer is and what kind of cycle they have for tumbling and you know basically how clean you keep them it's gonna affect the flavor and the end result can you get into it a little bit of a bit about the explosion of like the popularity of, of oysters because there was like a point where like it wasn't even a go-to item now it's like you go to all these different festivals and there's raw bars everywhere serving everywhere. up oysters and growing up in the 80s you know you didn't see oysters you didn't hear much about raw uh shellfish because people were so afraid of getting sick um and I don't know what happened. People aren't afraid anymore, or are there uh, better regulations? I think one kind of you know affects the other with supply and demand. So <clears throat> the demand is is high, and the, because the price has gone up so much, clams the the price has stayed the same since the seventies. You know, it's twenty twenty five cents at the dock. Today it's still the same price. Oysters are twenty twenty five cents at the dock. Now they're up to like a dollar. You know, wow. so I think wow. quadrupled in price wow. in you know forty. It took forty fifty years, but still. The, the value's there, so there's good people getting into the business and, and producing all these new oysters that replace those those bad oysters you're talking about. Like, you know, down in Louisiana, I'm not going to say bad, but different oysters from down south where the water's warm, Louisiana, you know, the Gulf. Personally, I just won't eat those oysters, be- yeah. any of them, even if they're super fresh. It's because there is a chance of getting sick and the, the water's just... Chance. Yeah, this is just unrelated, yeah. but I was down in Louisiana. I saw the Mississippi River. I thought this was going to be like this beautiful body of water. <laughs> it's like black, dude. It was the yeah. most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Oh, you really yes. thought it was going to be nice? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. You just hear about the Mississippi River growing up and you think it's like this, you know, this great passageway that's like... You know, been taken care of all the time, but it's literally just been like a breeding ground of just mocking. <laughs> yeah, like, I, guess it depends. Yeah. I mean, it's so huge. I guess it depends. Maybe there are pretty areas of the Mississippi River. People are welcome to call in or comment <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so maybe that was it. So the oyster company, uh, the oyster industry in the Northeast sort of died off. And I guess people were sort of scrounging around down south, maybe in the 70s and the 80s and 90s and kind of having bad experiences. So I just remember growing up, no one really did it you know until yeah um you always almost warned against it and, and oysters today like i said they're more affo- like, they're not more affordable but they're more accessible to get good ones so you know you're gonna have an, a good farmer that's dedicated their life to going out there and, and bringing in good product and there's a lot of regulations now with like the dec is on their backs and making sure that they have everything iced and tagged and you know properly harvested so nobody will get sick but uh i guess a lot of it is just cool like in brooklyn especially brooklyn there's a lot of young people hipsters we'll call them <laughs> yeah but it's my you know these are people that are that you these know s- that ser- <laughs> service my company so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good thing now we need these hip people because they're they are they basically are taking risks a little bit you know like mm-hmm. back i guess for for a long time nobody was trying oysters but now they're they've, they're young they've never had oysters from this region and they're really interested and they want you know, dozens. You yeah, know, so. yeah, yeah, and it kind of, I kind of liken it to like the boom of like sushi. You know, like sure. you know, ten or twelve years ago, whatever. It's like you know, you to get someone to try sushi was like, you know, like when I was growing up, like no one. That's you know, disgusting raw fish. It's kind of an exotic thing. Yeah, and now it's kind of like a go-to thing, and it's one of those things that I think with oysters, it's like it kind of takes a while for someone to try it, and then once they try it, you know, they kind of get used to it, and then they yeah. start to really enjoy. It. There's like that kind of that first step 
of like you right. got to get your head over it. like you know when you look at an oyster it's not the most appealing of foods yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the but, same thing with sushi but then it becomes kind of appealing yeah once you start eating yeah. it and you, you you try out the different flavors it's and, like having your first beer in high school you know yeah i guess <laughs> but uh it's an acquired taste i feel like, when i first got into the business i didn't know what i was doing and i was like who's going to eat these oysters? I don't get it. And we drive them into the city. Now I don't have to go to the city. I have plenty yeah. of customers out here on Long Island because it has elevated, you know, I guess the, the number of people has, has elevated greatly and the, the amount of demand, even in not super duper wealthy areas, you know, there's places where a buck a shuck just crushes, you know? Oh man. I mean the, 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 the uh, happy hours at, at catch and, and uh, salt and barrel and Bayshore. What is it? Buck 25. Yeah. Uh, those are just that's a great thing to do. Spend a couple bucks. It has a reputation for being kind of a yuppie thing, or it used to. Used Certainly to. sushi used to in the 90s. And you can go out to a sushi restaurant and load up you and your girl for 80 bucks. Uh, and it's hard to go to like a regular new American restaurant and spend less than like $120, $130. Mm-hmm. So sushi as well has this sort of reputation for being kind of like an uppity thing, or it used to. It's definitely more mainstream now. Yeah. But it's actually less expensive than going out to a regular restaurant. And you can go to an oyster bar and load up for just a few bucks especially if you catch it at happy hour uh and it's such a great treat how much do you when you're i always see it alive at by the bay shocking outside salt and barrel um how much are those oysters going for at the festivals oh down by the water usually like two bucks each maybe like you know you do six for ten dollars something like that yeah, so yeah. almost two dollars a piece in manhattan you're talking like three to five dollars an oyster even 450 what? 475 at a oh. fancy restaurant yeah. Yeah, yeah when we met and i was just like you know everyone says the oysters in manhattan are like the best places in the world but you're like not even close yeah, I mean, the oysters are coming from Long Island and yeah. being shipped in. so and being marked up. Yeah, marked yeah. up. So it's the same product, but you'll get it even fresher at a place like in Greenport is my favorite spot. A guy named Ian, he has uh, Little Creek Oysters. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been out there, it's like basically the, Cla- the Claudio's parking lot. Okay. There's this little yeah. bait and tackle shop that he turned into an oyster bar. And he farms right in the Conic, right? Yeah, he's got right. North Fork Oyster Company, and he knows what he's talking about. It's him and his wife that run it, and uh, there's no better place to get oysters. You know, you go out there, and they'll be super fresh and you know always variable you know varying flavors they'll have different stuff in there and what time of year is the best to to catch and consume oysters this time of year i mean people always said that r months are the months that end with r so over the years september october november december mm-hmm. that's uh, like the fall into winter time the water's colder <clears throat> but that goes back to before refrigeration was as common as it is uh. now so year round we're able you know we don't, we don't need to put them on ice we have you know refrigerators and mm-hmm and big coolers and you know we can basically keep stuff cold longer but uh you know they do go through a process through the spring and summer where they're spawning and they're reproducing Mm -hmm. so they get a little bit thinner then but the best time is in the fall when they're all plump and ready to hibernate over the winter and then they pretty much you know chill out they the respiratory system slows down and they they basically hibernate through the winter and it's, it's still a great time to eat them and then uh, it's unfortunate it doesn't line up with the season. Though. You know, you'd think spring and summer is when the most get eaten. Right, correct. But in the yeah, fall yeah. and winter is the best time, the best flavor. And it's it's tough because when you're trying to do sales, you want to sell in the fall and winter because yeah, that's when you get the best product best available. Forward, yeah, yeah but, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you're out by the water or something. You want something kind of like salty or yeah, it's whatever. A, it's a summer thing for sure. But like you said, that's interesting that um, the way things evolved, <clears throat> it was probably risky to eat to eat oysters in the summer back in the day before oh, yeah. it was refrigeration. <laughs> exactly. People taking risks back yeah. then. Yeah, like I said, now, as soon as they come off, you know, before they're even off the boat, they have to go right onto ice, you know, and they're constantly monitored. And as you're getting off the boat, there might be a DC guy standing there. Right. <laughs> like, as you're getting off the boat, just checking checking temperature. What's it like fishing out there in the cold weather? It's brutal. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's no other word for it. <laughs> yeah. Basically, the skin on your face is, like, 
bright red you get in the shower and you just uh it's it's, it's harsh I, growing up i used to watch the alaskan king crab like those guys are nuts you seen that before oh, oh yeah. the history channel like, that's insane forget it and then you but then even like you relate it to great south bay and it's ice cold freezing you can't even your face can't even feel so comfortable your... walking down waverly avenue i know never mind uh <laughs> trudging around in three and a half feet of uh water so what is life as a oyster farm hand like um are you, are you on are you on boats are you getting in the water are you using rakes? Are you using your feet? Like, using your toes? Yeah, yeah. how's this work? Yeah, so you they just don't catch them between burrow. your big toe and your other toe. <laughs> That's how we used to do it with the clamming, yeah. you know. But uh, these don't burrow under the surface; they sit right on top, so it's easier. So I originally got into it by diving on wild oysters on the North Shore. So I got you know Nawi certified, and I was able to just go down and you, you know as long as you have a, a residency or you have a proper permit. You can just pick up money off the ground. <laughs> pick it up. 50 cents, 50 cents. Put it in the bag. Put it in the bag. That's awesome. awesome. But uh, they're not as, you know, they don't set up naturally as much as they used to. <clears throat> so that's why I got into working with farmers. There's one guy out uh, in East Mauritius, great gun, a guy named Paul McCormick. <clears throat> I think he's got, like, one of the best products. On oh, the, you know. Sorry. Oh, yeah, it's the beach right there. Yeah, yeah so. that's the name of the, the same name as the beach, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a great gun. It's a legendary surf spot, too. So oh, okay, he used you. to grow up going east of smith's point and he named his oyster after that area because he's kind of directly across right by mm. kind of by the uh the inlet out there you know like uh dune road right rich's yeah. inlet so he'll be just west of that <clears throat> yeah and on the bay side gotcha. <clears throat> but he's got a system where he's growing on the surface and bags that are all kind of connected and uh we flip them back over back and forth so we keep mixing them up and the oysters don't go below this you know maybe six inches to a foot down below the surface they stay up on top and the wave action makes them tumble and bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. Which gives them a nice thick shell, makes them plump up. And with him, we're up to our waist in water. I have to put on the, the hip waders, and we get wet. You know, we get in yeah. there, and our arms are in long sleeved gloves, and uh, that's pretty cold. You know, <laughs> especially in the winter months. <laughs> and you're doing that all year. What I like is working with Matt Welling over at Lucky Thirteen, only because we stay on the boat. Mm-hmm. We actually just, you know, have a boat that services the stuff. The hard part is getting the stuff in and out is backbreaking because we have to lift the cages onto the boat where we work on a dry space. So in that case, you know, I'm, I have waterproof like clothes on, but I stay relatively dry and I stay warmer longer. So yeah. what, what was the name of the great gun farmer? Uh, Paul McCormick. Okay, I didn't want to talk over you. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. Everybody should try a great gun if you can. I'm Very sure they cool. have them at catch. Awesome. Do you have any crazy fishing stories out there? Uh, maybe something weird you still saw on the water or something got, like that? Got pulled under the water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing to too crazy. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of other life out there at this point. Hopefully, you know, we can make that better. There's, a, there's other, you know, There actually are a lot of uh, fishermen going by, like working on fishing boats, especially out by Captree. So uh, one of my buddies, uh, Tom Falco, he's out on Jenny Lee, his name of his boat, and he cruises by and he's like – you just hear the rumble of his, his diesel engine and he, yeah. he actually does charters now so he'll every once in a while he'll stop by with a, a group of buddies and we'll serve him some fresh oysters right there on oh, the that's boat. that's great that like, sounds amazing taking pictures when you get the greater boat out there collect some quarters <laughs> oh yeah greater boat <laughs> just call it that I love that <laughs> why not we, that could be part of a write up to the company especially yeah. if we're covering stuff on Fire Island oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the great seas department we'll swing by and pick up some oysters we just like, always have quarters on you <laughs> um so when you're farming oysters they're they're always contained they're in a bag or a cage they're not just yeah so some people do spread them out on the bottom but it makes it a little uh, with pre- like predators basically and sponges and things that attach themselves to it mm-hmm. it makes it a little harder to handle and they can get lost in the mud periwinkles <coughs> uh, do, the, do they 
What eats oysters? <clears throat> Drills, like you said. Drills, yeah. But also starfish, uh, crabs, pull them open. Yeah. And a lot of it is like this kind of like a calcified worm that kind of attaches to the shell and, and it just uh, it makes them not pretty anymore. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, really affect the meat sure. on the inside. So you basically yeah. have to tumble them and scrape it off and constantly be vigilant. You don't want to see old worms on there. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Yeah, you got to make sure the shells are clean. And that's yeah. that's how you can tell, too, like immediately if you're working with a guy like Matt or, or Paul. Who's turning. Yeah, who's tumbling them regularly and mm -hmm. who's you know staying on top of it. Awesome. About approximately how many oysters do you think you've caught over the years? Um, well, we just call it you know, harvesting, and the guys that I've worked with can harvest up to like, I'd say like five or ten thousand a week sometimes. Wow, it's <laughs> a big event, and it's, it's like right in the, like September, August or September, they crush it, you know, uh, and especially on a Friday because people are gear all the restaurants are gearing up for the weekend. Wow. And some people that only order maybe 200 here, two, 300 there will be like, oh, we got this big event. We need 1,000 today, you know? No wonder why you're on the list for the uh, to get some underwater <laughs> acreage for yeah. yourself. That sounds like a nice payday, man. It's a great payday. It's just uh, it takes so much to get to that point, you know? It's like, yeah, like any know, farming. Yeah, like any farming. You basically have to spend money for years before you even start making any profit because right. you just keep adding seed and setting yourself up for later. So you really have to think about the long game and the – the future, which uh, is not natural for a guy like me. <laughs> more like, this is the event. I show up, I shuck, and I'm done. You know, it's like a more simple operation yeah. than farming. So you're out there farming, and you're playing music, and you're um, you're shucking oysters at at events, typically. So so do you work for at, do you go to private parties? Do you work for restaurants mainly? How does the shucking operation work? Uh, yeah, so I know you're a tall mother shucker. Yeah. <laughs> tall mother shucker. I, tall love, mother I love, I love that. You have to see me in person. I'm six foot seven, so uh, you know I grew up with everybody saying, "How tall are you?" You know, like what's going on with yeah. with the height? Why are you so tall? What's what going on? Why, why are you so tall? <laughs> That's what I, I mean. If I saw somebody that was this much taller, like actually there was a guy in Patchogue once. One time I saw him at. Uh, at barbecue is like seven feet tall mm. and i was like oh my god like, why look are you at so this tall guy. yeah like, <laughs> how tall are your parents did you play basketball you know, like, it's like the the whole Reverse. group of questions so now yeah. i'm like i gotta capitalize on that you know i might as well since everybody wants to talk to me about my height you know turn it around and make it into you know what i'm trying to push which is your brand yeah like the brand the yeah. long island oyster story and the fact that blue points are making a comeback so awesome blue point brewery because that is, is probably my my best uh client client right mm -hmm. they're, they're awesome to me and uh, i work with the marketing team i work with the sales team i do all kinds of different stuff with them but uh, as far as restaurants and you know I, occasionally i'll pop up at like a catch oyster bar uh you know mike avino's got something going on we're actually doing it march uh thursday march 31st doing a shucking class so he sells tickets and blue point uh supplies the beer and i actually teach you how to shuck we talk about the history of oysters and we do a pairing and uh cool. it's really cool it's actually you know a good way for me to get one-on-one -on -one time with different people and they get to ask questions and yeah. for me that's fun what about when people <clears throat> cut themselves yeah we, we supply gloves too okay. <laughs> <laughs> but i cut myself a lot to get to where i am today yeah, i'm not gonna lie yeah. early on in the process i had a chainmail glove that i would wear for a long time and uh that helps a lot i could dive with sharks with this thing you know it's yeah you wow. stab yourself pretty good but now i have i always wear uh gloves that i get from the hardware store basically it's like getting good at anything i remember when i was a boater and i you know i something happened and uh older boater came up to me and said hey do this and do that and i did that and this and everything was working again 
I was like, holy shit. I was like, how did, how did you know that? Like, how do you know so much? He was like, from fucking up. <laughs> He's like, how else do you know anything? Yeah. That's true. Yeah, if you're but, not uh, cutting yourself shucking oysters, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> no, not really. You should, <laughs> you should never cut yourself. <laughs> it's that, usually a weak shell, too. Like, you can, if you have a really good oyster, you shouldn't cut yourself. Uh, you know, sometimes a shell will break, and that's how, how it happens. Or you, gotcha. It's usually just too much pressure. I tell people it's all in the wrist, and just watch a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> you know, right, that's right. the best way to learn yeah. anything. YouTube saved right. the world. Uh, how often do you guys do the shucking classes over at Catch? Uh, we've been doing it every few months, actually. Uh, I think we've done three or four so far, and uh, you get a nice crowd. Yeah, it's been it's been great. Really good local Excellent. people. Everybody's yeah. supportive. Uh, my uh, guy named Troy is a salesman there for Blue Point, and uh, he puts it together with Mike. And it's just good people. And I like I like the patch dog scene over here. You know, it's really good. Yeah. You know, it's cool out in Bayshore too. I just uh, I feel more of an affinity to this this crowd. Feel more of a connection. Yeah. Right. Right in Sable, so you're kind of in between these two places. Exactly. In addition to oysters, you fish anything else? Um, well, I've never actually. I didn't grow up a fisherman. You know, I, my dad was a clammer, and uh, I go out with, with friends occasionally. You know, we'll catch bass or, we or go, whatever. We, I go sea robin fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the I, most common. I catch sea robin and spider crabs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the occasional, sh I guess, uh, you know, thresher shark, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. So, yeah. how did you get into, uh, you know, into oyster farming? Was it like a romantic thing? You just felt a pull to get out onto the water it was or a, was it just like i need some money i worked for a wholesale company for a while so i got to know all the all the product from blue said, canada yeah blue island okay. so okay go ahead. he's Sorry. he's in sable too and I, I grew up in sable my mom actually took care of the owner's son at, at her daycare many years ago mm -hmm. and you know i just started learning more and more about oysters and becoming more interested and it kind of became uh, i guess an I guess uh, an unexpected, <laughs> you know, focus of mine. You know, yeah. I was kind of like I never grew up really eating oysters. My parents ate seafood, but not like, you know, raw oysters in the half shell. And now I find myself seeking them out and you know going to restaurants. And You're into it. You got into. I'm it. into it. Yeah. And awesome. the farming thing is just because I was always outside anyway, and I like to snowboard and surf, and I don't mind the cold generally. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at some point I was a naked cowboy. I don't hear about that. But <laughs> I knew all about this, and this is what I was building towards. <laughs> in, in, in Manhattan? Uh, yeah, yeah, to promote the uh, the oysters at the time. It was so, Naked Cowboy Oyster uh, Company, and uh, the original guy from Cincinnati, Ohio, Robert Burke. Is that one of these pictures over here? Uh, I don't think I have any pictures of the naked cowboy, but I can show you right now. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I, I always keep my underwear on underneath. People, so, uh, so, yeah, I, so so uh, let's, let's, let's backtrack for a second. So was it? It wasn't Blue Island oysters that came up with the naked cowboy. Uh, yeah. So. So where did it all come from, and how's it connect to, to Manhattan and, and you you portraying? I mean, uh, this guy's played guitar in Times Square. <laughs> yeah. So they just he just wanted to, you know, he wants to retire someday. It was <laughs> the original naked cowboy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, Robert. So does he have a good pension plan? To <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Robert <laughs> wanted to franchise the idea. He was at the at the time he was like, wouldn't it be great? If we had all these other naked cowboys that were paying him a you know five hundred dollar a month franchise fee or whatever, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, that sounds crazy, but you know, so does you know what he's been doing for all these years. You probably saw him on MTV like TRL lot like sure. back in the day. He used to do a lot of stuff, and he still does. He's got like a Fruit of the Loom endorsement. So what I was doing was basically I was just going in on my own time and dressing up and dressing down dressing down <laughs> and, and getting, getting tips i was getting stripper money basically it was like <laughs> dollars shoved in my underwear and my guitar and on a good night i could make you know like 350 400 in cash <laughs> in a few hours <laughs> basically and, and taking pictures with people just in times square between you know so you like, would be uh, in times square between i guess was it between 40 
43rd and 46th, really, or 47th, um, between Broadway and 7th. Now, just, was your uh, hair longer at the time? I had long hair, and actually, it's kind of like what came first, chicken or the egg. You know, it was like the best uh, fitness program you could imagine is going out naked in Times Square because now I was obsessed with getting in shape, you know, like eating properly, yeah. and now I'm worried about how I look. You know, you can cover a lot with your clothes, but <laughs> when you're out there and there's there's people critiquing you regularly, like, yeah. oh, my God, look, at like he's hairy. Oh, my God. So I, so I shave. You know, they don't want a hairy chest. All right, I'll shave. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, you, you have no tan whatsoever. So I go stand up paddling in a Speedo and try to get rid of the tan lines because I had these, like, you know, board shorts, tan lines. Now, when you were doing this, and you and I have talked about this before, and I never asked, were people like, because he was such a, the original Naked Cowboy, what's his full name? Uh, Robert Burke. Robert Burke, he was such a well-known character. Would people come up to you and be like, you're not, would they think you're an imposter? Or did people not notice the difference? I'm sure you had a mix of all things. Yeah, in the beginning, I was kind of fearful of that. And, and pretty much what he put in my head was, it doesn't matter? Like, doesn't doesn't matter. They just want to see, like, a, a star, you know? They came to New York. Yeah. Almost everybody I talked to was not from New York. Anybody right. from New York wouldn't, you know, if you're self-respecting New Yorker, <laughs> you're going to avoid downtown. And you're definitely not going to take a picture of a naked cowboy. But, uh, <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that because I have actually have had random people say, oh, I have a picture with you, you know? Uh-huh. But they don't, I don't know if it's me or if it's him, you know? Because <laughs> the original guys, it, he was like a playgirl model. He's ripped. Mm-hmm. He's he, he works out all the time. Yeah. He eats nothing but healthy food. He's pretty obsessed, you know, and he has been for a long time. He's focused, I should say. He's, he loves Tony Robbins, which I think is hysterical. Uh-huh. You know, that crazy inspirational yeah. speaker yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I never became that. I, I kind of found myself in a position, like I said, I play music, and I, d- I never wanted to be in a cover band. I always wanted to play original music. Yeah. And I felt like being the Naked Cowboy became like a, a cover. of. I was doing everything he would do, yeah. and I didn't really have a lot of creative outlet for myself. I was just wearing his underwear, his hat, his... I was doing his idea, yeah. and it worked. It could, it could work for anybody. Literally, you could anybody can go out there and make a lot of cash, because all you need is a busker's, uh, like a basically a tax ID mm-hmm. that says you're a busker. You know, and as long as you report how much money you make and you pay your taxes. It's a solid job. <laughs> all, all I, bet those... it would, I bet it would work at a live after five. I did it a live after five actually <laughs> did, once. Didn't I? Yeah, you don't remember that? No. <laughs> it was Dave Kennedy. I think it was Dave Kennedy. He, you know, he was like, "Keenan, we really want you to do it." It was when I was into it, you know. He's yeah. like, "It'd be cool." So I was ready to do it. I was all geared up, and they're like, "Actually, can you wear like a bathing suit?" Because <laughs> I don't think Patchogue's quite ready for that. So I came and I did it in a bathing suit. And there's, there's definitely pictures somewhere of you me. Could, you could probably pull it off now. Oh, yeah. Patchogue's finally ready for yeah, you. Yeah, now my body's not, not ready for Go it hit the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so now what's stopping uh, me and Nick from just going into Times Square, getting our tax ID number and putting a hat and and wearing tidy whities and playing a guitar? Like why, why, why'd why you need the franchise oh, um, permission? Maybe that's where he kind of lost, you know lost uh, his sight or vision nobody you know nobody ever did it yeah it was was an idea i didn't say it was successful it was an idea of his and his idea was like oh keenan is one of my you know my first franchise you know so we'll we'll get more franchises but you know i never paid him any money i just he actually paid me money and it was it was fun you know i think it was uplifting for him and me to like you know try some new experience so really there's only been two naked cowboys on this earth and a jew and him uh no there's actually been quite a few okay and he's got a naked cowgirl as his wife. Okay. And, you know, he's he's still trying to get it out there. It's, it's you know, it is what it is. He's more popular in other countries. So if you go to, like, Australia or something, or he's, he's traveled mm-hmm. and people are blown away by it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, and the whole cowboy allure is interesting to foreigners as well. You know? Yeah, the cow and being in New York City, too, is kind of fun. Like, yeah. you know, 
And how'd you guys meet up over Facebook or something? Uh, through the oysters. Uh, you know, it was the old Blue Island Oyster Company that created. Oh, yeah, this is how we were tying it in. So how did how did the the uh, diver caught Long Island Sound oysters become named Naked Cowboy? What's a connection to, to uh, Burke? It was the owner of that wholesale company that said we're making deliveries here. It would cost a lot of money to put my name on a billboard. Why don't we just do it right here on the ground floor? Put my name on his guitar. And pay him a franchise fee and create a brand. Yeah. And everybody laughed because you're like, oh, the high end clientele that are buying oysters aren't going to want a naked cowboy. This you know, <laughs> guy is tidy whitey. So, yes. <laughs> so like the low brow and the high brow, you know, and Come it does work. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things that nobody could have ever predicted would be wow, a good idea. That's so cool. Branding <laughs> but, is key, right? Branding is king. Yeah, you got to take risks, basically. Yeah. People that don't take risks, I feel like, are, are just mediocre. But if you do something super risky, then you have a chance to excel right. or completely fail. Right. Yeah, well, you can't be afraid of failing, right? Yeah, so tell them all the shuckers. Part of that, I went over it in my head a couple of times. I was like, is this too offensive? You know, like, do people want to hear something that's, that sounds like Tom Mother Shucker? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turns out they do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? Yeah, it's like that Apple commercial. You know, it's the crazy ones who actually change the world. Yeah. We just had go. a Mary Fuck Hill reference on our uh, uh, Kegs and Eggs video. At Hatch in Huntington, and that seemed to go over really well. <laughs> you know, we're just, if we're like. Push the envelope a little bit. Yeah, if we're uh, like undecided on whether to push an envelope, if we're like 50 50, we're, we're always going to sway toward pushing the envelope. You know, sometimes it's clear that you can't do that, <laughs> yeah. you know? But if you're like, I don't know. I think we should always go. Yes. Yeah, because we live in like this new media world where it's like, you know, these traditional media sites are. Uh, businesses or whatever uh, you know they can't <laughs> Fios and News 12 can't make a Mary Fuck Hill right yeah exactly we <laughs> yeah. could kind of push it <laughs> exactly but we still you know sustain that journalistic quality and integrity but we just we just add a lot of fun to it <laughs> yeah exactly um, so uh, now as far as your ability to start getting out to yourself onto the bay and farming how many years you have to wait for something like that once you get your acreage underwater what the hell happens next, you know? Yeah, that's a whole process unto itself. So what I'm waiting for is for the, t uh, and I'm on a long list of people, uh, Town of Islip holds that I'm like number 30 at this point because I kind of moved up as people got their farms. And people default on it because you have to pay 750 a month. I'm sorry, 750 a year per acre. Mm. So if you get two acres, that's pretty common, two-acre farm. You're paying 1500 a year to just start working. And then you have to get, uh, you know, licensed by the Coast Guard, DEC, and uh, the county. Uh, this is actually Town of Islip that's doing this, so I'm not sure if county is involved at all. I know county leases some bay bottoms as well. Yeah, they're mostly, I think, out in that Riverhead, right. you know, Peconic. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought about going out there too. I just, you know, for me, I'd, I'd rather, commute-wise, I'd rather just jump in a boat and shoot across instead of driving out. Yeah, so, that's, a, that's a drag. Yeah, I, I used to live in Riverhead, and it doesn't seem that far. And it's just like, uh, forget it. I'm, yeah. I'm a South Shore boy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly. But uh, if I could get my acreage, I don't know if I'd be able to make any money there, to be honest. It's so much work, Yeah. and it seems really like straightforward. But unless you're retired with a pension or you have some kind of income, maybe you got like a settlement because you got into a car accident, something like that. Right, right. That's really the only way to spend the next couple of years of your life not making any money and <laughs> just working. I'll tell you what to do right now. Just drive through that traffic circle out, outside <laughs> yeah. a couple of times and you'll get your You'll accident. definitely get it. <laughs> no <laughs> one knows what to do when they get to a traffic circle. <laughs> Waverly Avenue traffic circle. 
and then obviously you have your startup course. Um, you know, you're gonna get boat. Your boat. You're gonna need yeah. all that, all the cages or bags and the seed. It is. You know, like uh, this, this, you want to plant like a million little baby oysters, but you yeah. have to spend you know twenty or twenty five thousand dollars on basically a sack that's the size of my fist oh, wow. of these tiny, tiny little oyster seed. And then you, you cut it up like it looks like drugs. You like put it out on the <laughs> counter and <laughs> with a credit card. You're making a cake, Henry? Yeah. I mean, what I imagine drugs would look like. And then you, you, you put in these smaller bags, and then that's basically the whole process. You keep, you know, count, sorting, counting, grading, and moving from, you know, into larger and larger bags until those spread out and take up the whole acreage. Wow. But you have to keep, like I said, setting yourself up. So you're, you just keep spending more money so that way when you do harvest, You'll have something else coming up on the, in the works and harvest again and harvest again. You can't really just you know set yourself up for one harvest and then be yeah. done. You, have, you to almost just... have to borrow money to live for a couple of years until until this thing starts to propagate itself. Yeah, and then one rough winter like last winter, it was just frozen for months. You know, like this yeah. winter was pretty easy on everybody, unless it's just starting right now. I don't even know what's going on yeah, with, yeah. with the cold. Right it's now. like the coldest day of the year right now. Well, um, if it freezes wow. over, you can't work really up. You know, in Canada, they'll go out with they have machinery. They can go out with chainsaws and cut oh, they the know ice. They're about cutting through ice up in Canada. Yeah. yeah. So on the Great South Bay, if it freezes, you're pretty much just out of business for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's know? like when it snows in Atlanta, the whole city shuts down. Oh yeah, there's like an inch of snow. Yeah. Cars. Yeah. It's amazing how like societies adapt. Yeah. Um, what do you see uh, the future of oysters? I know they exploded onto the scene now. You know, is there going to be a point where they've been overfished? You know, what's the future? Yeah, the bubble has not burst and i think because of the farming uh you know because of plastics really that create an environment where we can farm they're basically these plastic bags that didn't used to exist years ago when oysters were this popular so i think they're just going to keep growing because of technology too like i said about spawning earlier there's a new you know basically not a new but uh there's two different types there's uh triploids and diploids or diploids and triploids however you want to say it and uh these ones don't uh they don't go through that process they don't create babies basically mm -hmm. and then the, the meat stays good year-round and they don't they don't change uh so that's a new type of oyster that you know could just keep getting more and more popular i think and just more and more harvestable and the quality just keeps going up and because we just keep taking the best of the best with the brood stock the oyster just keep getting right. better it's like the seedless watermelon <laughs> uh, exactly <laughs> it's very no. similar actually <laughs> now these oysters so <clears throat> the oysters that people are farming for and they're putting into the bays into the bays in the sound right now, uh, they actually can't reproduce for the most part, right? That's what you're saying? A lot of them can't, yeah. So that kind of negates, uh, people say that, they, you know, the oysters filter, X, X, people say 50 gallons of water a day mm. uh, per oyster. So we're cleaning up the water. That's true, as long as they're out there. But they're not just going to go out and, and seeds not going to spread and they're not going to set up in the wild unless right. we, we plant the specific type that will do that. And even that is a challenge because of predators. Yeah, well. and also just nature. It has to be the, the water has to be just the right temperature, and they have to just meet in the right place at the right time. It's yep. it's really difficult to to make it happen unless you're inside of a hatchery and inducing it and changing the water temperature right. and the light and really setting it up for these oysters yeah. yeah. to get busy. <laughs> Turn on Barry Manilow. <laughs> Turn the lights Log down. <laughs> Light some candles. Put the fire on. Um, now, uh, before we let you go. Uh, what is your knowledge of the clam industry, and can you kind of tell us? I'm sure you've absorbed some of this information by osmosis. What's going on with clams in the bay, and, and where are we at with that? Clams were over-harvested, so it was a you know, result of a lot of 
raking the bottom. Guys like your dad and Jim Avino and <laughs> yeah, countless exactly. others. Right? All these guys thought there was never going to be an end. Yeah. And turns out it's a finite supply out there. So there's a lot of there's people that are still trying to plant seed. Mm-hmm. And town of Islip used to have a program. Nature Conservancy used to do it off of West Avil. Yeah, well. they've really changed their focus to oysters, as you've probably noticed. Yeah. And a lot of it's because people aren't consuming clams like they used to. You know, they still do, mm-hmm. but the clams, you know, just the interest is not where it used to be. Yeah. So I don't know if the clams are going to make a comeback, but there are a lot of people growing them up in Can- uh, Connecticut mm-hmm. and further north. Uh, like I said, the price is still low. And there's no differentiation in the meat as much. You know, it's not kind of like you can't really tell the difference between a clam that's from the Peconic or a clam from Great South Bay or a clam from a different location. So it's not as interesting for people to have. Sure. Yeah. You don't have that like wine tasting aspect of it. Yeah. A little neck clam tastes like a little neck clam no matter where. It might be meatier on the sound one season and and uh, and a little grayish somewhere else, but they're still kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's kind of less yeah. complex. And like I said, there's not as many uh, young foodies. Or hipsters, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the hipsters. We go with the hipsters. We gravitate <laughs> to the hipsters. Um, yeah. So when the when the clams sort of got overfished, and uh, I guess it's a chicken or an egg thing. So 1986, I think, was the first massive brown tide. That May first, 2000. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a late spring afternoon <laughs> when the when the chalk and milk colored water crept into the Great South Bay, and uh, I don't that, know. That was page four. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that was because of the clams weren't there to filter this stuff. Or whatever conditions occurred, but uh, ever since then, these clams haven't come back whatsoever. And uh, it's curious to see. I think it's just nature at the end of the day, you know, um, and different factors in our environments. Like, I think the water, the Long Island Sound going up a slight degree in temperature killed, like, the entire lobster industry. And there hasn't been lobsters in the Sound for, like, 15 years now. Um, It's just amazing how these slight little uh, vary you know, variables could affect people's livelihoods. It does make for ecosystems. It makes for an interesting industry because you look around and there's people, like I said, that that geared up for lobsters and they're like, all right, well, we don't have lobsters. So now I guess we're doing oysters, you know? (laughs) know? So there's people that are in the business kind of involuntarily just because that's what's here right now. And, you know, scallops did really well last season. The season before that, there was nothing, you know, it's feast or famine. Yeah, you got to get in early, man. Get in, get involved with Scungili now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can we segue into eating these oysters? Are you like a purist? It's like I got to have nothing on there. Yeah, it's great go. question. Oh yeah, you got the vinegar sauce now, and you got the horseradish and yeah. the Tabasco. And well, the, that's what I say about what eat- does Tom on the chucka eat? <laughs> yeah, 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 naked first of all. <laughs> naked, okay. <laughs> they get tidy whities though. No bathing yeah. suits. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean the, the oysters naked, not you. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get naked. <laughs> and then you order your oysters. So put on a robe. <laughs> grab yourself an oyster and don't put anything on. On it, no. uh, I like you know a, a really good mignonette. Basically, mignonette is how it's pronounced in French. Okay, but uh, nobody mignonette. says mignonette. <laughs> okay. Mignonette, it's good to know. Yeah, New, New Yorkers say mignonette. Mignonetti. They had an eye onto it. <laughs> exactly. So it's just basically shallots and uh, red or white wine vinegar and some cracked peppercorn mixed together, and then you let it sit overnight. And uh, you know, I guess uh, my fiance Anna makes a delicious mignonette with cilantro some uh, like you know hot hot pepper in there oh nice a little ginger she mixes it up and 
Makes all different variations. Splash I think of hot I've had sauce. it. I think I've had it before. Oh yeah, I think you did have a it. Blue point. Uh, a blue point. Yeah, a blue point. <laughs> a, blue, a, blue, a blue point. <laughs> it's a blue point de mignonette. <laughs> yeah, she did. It was uh, the VIP cask festival last year. Yeah, she made that. Right, right, right. So you made like a cla- She made a classic. Oh, you put a little sugar in there too. It balances out the vinegar. Delicious. Yeah. So that's really good. I mean, people drown them in cocktail sauce, but then you might as well be eating the clam. You know, it doesn't. You're not going to taste it. You're going to just feel the. The mouthful of cocktail. Yeah. Is there a specific way to eat it for the beginners out there? You know, is uh, there a certain way to grab the oyster? Yeah, you know, you just kind of slurp it down. People say take like a chew or two, especially on the first one. Kind of hold it in your mouth for a minute and kind of let the uh, the flavor sink in. I guess you, you got that sweetness right off the bat. So if you swallow it too fast, you're only going to taste the salty. Yeah. So if you really want to get the sweetness, you kind of hold it in your mouth for a minute. Oh, cool. So that's kind of is like that wine. The worst yeah. is when they when they're shucking them and they don't. They don't properly slice them off the shell, and you're trying to like, and then you have to like scrape at them with your teeth. Exactly. Come on in, Benny. That becomes an issue. Yeah. What's up, hey. Benny? What's hey. up? Benny Migliorino. <laughs> Benny Migs photo. Just walked into the studio. <laughs> um, so what were you saying? Yeah. So if you don't, if you, what is that? It's called the part ad- of the adductor muscle. So it's and what, that's what you eat when you eat a scallop, right? Uh, exactly. It is muscle. a scallop. Exactly. Yeah. So the reason it's called a bivalve is because the two shells are, you know, it's a, a two-shell organism. And they're they're held together, and that's held tight. And the oyster's alive until the moment you shuck it. So you slice the top of the adductor, and then you kind of go back with the knife and slice the bottom. Unless, like you said, shucker didn't do their job. Oh, it's the worst. And then, yeah, you just, you look ridiculous. You're trying to, you have to. I hope my girlfriend's listening to this because I had this conversation with her the other day, and I think she was looking at me like I was just making it up as I went along. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so that's that muscle. Um, what's interesting about the scallop is that you eat that muscle and everything else gets tossed aside. With yeah. clams and oysters, you actually you don't eat that muscle. That's true. And a good shucker will present it without that disturbed. You know, the, the yeah. gills will be laid out perfectly. The the muscle will be intact, and it'll just be kind of a smooth layer of meat. And if it looks like a scrambled egg, then you know your shucker's a, <laughs> yes. either a beginner or just having an off day. <laughs> Give him a drink. Over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, very good. What's yeah. next for Soundswell, man? You guys in the studio or what? Soundswell is definitely getting a lot of recording done right now. So Excellent. the band that I'm in, you know, we're uh, we're actually currently a a five piece. Actually, no, we're up to six. We got mm. Six piece band. We we change a lot. Or you know, it's kind of a a revolving or like a flow of of members but the original core is still there and we've actually got this uh really amazing recording that we're looking to come out with four tracks probably uh right before we play rockwood music hall which is in uh april april 21st so let me know man we'll we'll you know we'll do our best to let people know about the new uh the new swell lp oh yeah i guess an ep EP, we're calling it four tracks but, uh, going back is in my mind. Yeah, we're in this place. We're calling it the Jam Lab in an undisclosed location Excellent. in Patchog, and we're uh, we're actually making it. That means it's in someone's mom's garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super secretive, <laughs> top secret. Awesome. But uh, no, it's gonna be an epic, you know, piece of, of music history once it's done. And we, we we've always done stuff in Patchog. We've always been located in this yep. area downtown. It's where we focus. So hopefully you feel a little bit of that Patchog vibe in the music. Excellent. Awesome. Terroir. Terroir of a terroir of Patchog. You'll, you'll <laughs> taste Patchog in the music. Oh man, this has been awesome and uh, great to see you again on a personal level. And good to have you in the studio and cover all these bases. I'm fascinated with with oysters and clams and and uh, and all that stuff as you as you know. Yeah. But uh, and uh, and Nick. And we skipped back from Blue Point the other day, <laughs> talking about you know. I met this tall mother shucker. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. so tall. Yeah, Nick, I just met at the uh, the opening 
I guess of the, for the media of the Blue Point Brewery yeah. as they finally announced April what 14th 14th yeah they're going to be open over there oh they have an exact date yeah did we pop that yeah I think so okay so yeah Nick was up there getting the samples of they actually have a, a Blue Point oyster topped burger over there they fry oh, yeah, yeah. a couple of oysters and they put them on top of the burger and it's ridiculous That's phenomenal some blue cheese April 14th I turned 40 like a week later so maybe we could do something over at Blue Point yeah Big Blue Point party. Drop some hints. Yeah, Mike, I've been seeing you ever since, I think, 89 North that one time, like many years ago we first met. Yeah. Sounds so I was playing. Yeah, the fundraiser. So, yeah, it's probably been five or six years. So I'm glad, yeah. glad to be down here. Thanks for inviting me down here. Absolutely, man. Thanks for welcoming me into town, too, when I started the site. You, you were one of the first two people I met. <laughs> nice. I think I met you before David Kennedy. Yeah, I like so, what uh, you're doing here. And uh, now This is episode 21, Lucky Blackjack, so I'm excited that we got you on. Oh, yeah. Perfect. You want to take us out, Nick? All right, let's go. Keenan, thank you again for joining us. This is awesome. It's great to see you again. This is the 495 Podcast. Uh, you can catch us on Spotify, iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Apple that- Podcasts. Please please uh, like us, review us, uh, give us some five stars. That would be uh, very helpful. All right, hopefully this was a five-star uh, interview. <laughs> <laughs> I never felt before in my current state and in these days of war. We must grow together or the end is near. Thicken up your skin and loosen up your fears. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting through my limitations, choosing to move.